Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Squiggly Careers podcast. I'm Helen Tupper, one of the hosts of the podcast. And instead of being joined by Sarah today, I'm actually going to be talking to three different guests about the topic of race at work. We're going to be discussing how we can create cultures that embrace race and diversity and the conversations that we need to engage in to support that. So first, you're going to hear me talking to Zara Mohamud and Vanessa Bello about why these conversations can feel uncomfortable, whether labels help or hinder us, and also the role of leaders, managers and individuals in moving the conversation forward. And to tell you a little bit about them, Zara is the campaign manager for race at Business in the Community, where she supports over 300 organisations with monitoring and embedding inclusive practices into their workplace. And Vanessa is the founder of High 15, where she wears many hats. She's a business strategist, a future insights consultant, a coach and an inclusion and belonging consultant and in our conversation they both share lots of practical advice that you can go and take away and put into action after that you'll hear me talk to Tolu Farinto about what he has learned about creating sustainable culture change through his role as head of ethnicity and social mobility at Utopia they're a culture change business focused on creating more purposeful inclusive and entrepreneurial cultures so we appreciate that Conversations about race at work is a huge topic to address, and this is just one very small podcast in a very significant conversation. It's going to take a huge amount of ongoing action for all of us to make sustainable change, but our hope is that in this podcast, you're able to identify and feel confident about the actions that you could take. It's an episode that we would really love your feedback on, so please do get us in touch with us at Helen and Sarah at squigglycareers.com. We read all of your messages and it helps us to keep learning and growing and making the podcast as useful as possible for you. So I hope you find this discussion really valuable and let's get started with Vanessa and Zara. The first thing that I would love to get both of your perspectives on is in the context of having more conversations, more open conversations about race at work, what is it that you think gets in the way? What do you think are some of the barriers about this feeling like just something that where people feel able to do and open to do? Vanessa, maybe if I get your perspective on it first about the barriers to the conversation about race at work. I think the key barriers would be the feeling of feeling uncomfortable. So the lack of comfort, that is definitely something that a lot of people I speak to or 
I do believe that as human beings, we want to have the conversation. We want the world to be better. That is a no-brainer. But it's about sometimes and often a lack of confidence, a lack of knowledge, and as well, of course, a lack of knowing how to navigate this uncomfortable feeling of, well, not knowing, you know? Mm. And I think that this is something that a lot of us need to acknowledge in order for this not to be a barrier anymore. I thought there was a really interesting provocation that I think Sarah was giving it recently on the Allyship podcast when she was talking about people maybe not entering conversations because they might feel uncomfortable and then was challenged back by somebody and saying, well, maybe that might be an uncomfortable conversation for you, but perhaps I've lived an uncomfortable life because of it. And that's the thing that you might need to recognise in order to start that conversation. I like this angle, but at the same time, I think that I'm a black woman, right? So I always, and because I, I'm a DNA consultant, I have a lot of empathy for the other. And it's interesting because usually I'm the other. In this conversation about race anyway, I really think about that. How would someone feel if I was to tell them that particular sentence of I've lived an uncomfortable life? Because the reality is that I have not. (laughs) I am living, I am breathing. Has it been the best that it could be? No. But has it been good? Yes. And I think that if I was a white person and someone was telling me, well, I've lived in uncomfortable life, for me, that's quite defensive. It's actually saying, okay, I understand where you're coming from, yet I'm willing to have this conversation with you because I think we will both benefit from it. And then down the line of that conversation, this is when you bring in your lived-in experience. I think in uncomfortable conversations, we have to think about how do we start because we know it's uncomfortable for everybody. Zara, what do you think? Is it is there anything else that you've learned through the work with business in the community about what barriers might be getting in the way other than this feeling like an uncomfortable conversation for people to have? I think I, I really agree with Vanessa about her point about the nature of the conversation and how it kind of brings up these uncomfortable feelings. Um, but I also think there's a lack of general knowledge and awareness of the issue as well that can get in the way. And, you know, I think there are a number of potential reasons for this. And you know, one of those reasons is probably education and the school curriculum, but, you know, that's an entirely separate conversation. But I think the biggest reason is because it's outside of a person's lived experience. If you're not aware of racism, you're someone who thinks, you know, I don't see colour, race isn't important to me. I think it's important to acknowledge it's probably because you haven't experienced it. And that's most likely because your race is widely accepted as the norm. And I think it's really important for all of us to kind of step outside of ourselves and examine not just the experiences that we have been through that have shaped our perceptions and our worldview, also to pay attention to the things that we haven't experienced, you know, and to ask ourselves, what gap is is there in, in my knowledge and my awareness because I haven't experienced something? Why are these experiences a reality for people who don't look like me? And how can I kind of close that gap in my understanding? And I think the George Floyd video really helped to close that gap by bringing this highly visible traumatic and incomprehensible act of racism to our screens and it's kind of sparked people to really think about race for the first time in in maybe a way that they haven't before. There are people who do have this knowledge of race but do still feel uncomfortable. That's a really big part of our work actually. So in 2018 at BITC we published our scorecard report which is a one-year-on review of how employers in the UK were performing against the recommendations outlined by the McGregor-Smith review And we used a statistically representative sample from YouGov and received a huge response of more than 24,000 people. And it's given us a really strong evidence base to form new insights into race at work. And one of the findings that came out of this report 
is that almost two thirds of people at work are uncomfortable talking about race. And the survey found that conversations around age, gender and uh, sexuality are much easier to have than conversations about race. And a lot of that is because people feel as though they aren't equipped with the language to talk about it. And they're afraid of saying the wrong thing. And actually our message at BITC is that's okay, And you're not the only one who's feeling this fear. Like we're all feeling it together. So can we just pick up a little bit on that point of labels? Because I think people are worried about getting it wrong. And and just like to take one label as an example of BAME, there's been quite a lot that I have seen about that being a label that has been used extensively in organisations for the past couple of years. There are people who have, you know, BAME in their job titles, but actually now there's a recognition that that actually isn't seen as an inclusive label and that actually people are really uncomfortable with it. So what's your perspective on the use of labels are they useful? Are they not useful? Are there some that we need to stop using? Vanessa, I know you obviously do a lot of work with organisations on this. What's the role of labels? I think that whilst we don't want to put people in a box, I do think that for this particular conversation, we ought to. Because for me, use of a label is important because it's a way to highlight a group of individuals in order to provide focus to that group of individuals. Now, is it that we should change the labels? Yes, because some of them are not inclusive to your point. I think that when you are, for example, mixed race, and you feel that, so you're not black, you're not Asian, then it's minority ethnic, you know, and you're thinking, well, I know I'm part of the minority already. I think that some of the labels that we have currently are not empowering. But at the same time, I understand that in an organization, you have to have labels or should we create a label like LGBTQ+. I think that's something that could be an idea with the plus element or with an X. Or should we rethink the label? I think that, yes. Zara, any perspective from the work with BITC about the role of labels, whether it actually supports this agenda of having better conversations about race or whether it actually creates more barriers? I think I think it does a little bit of both. They kind of support the agenda by kind of having a really clear way to distill information. But I think they're really only important when people are, are speaking publicly or are publishing a, a written piece of information. But in conversations, I think... It's good to be open about to have that conversation about which labels people are, are comfortable with up front and then to choose a label and then just to move on with the conversation, actually get to the main and important content of what you have to say on the topic. Where should managers start? If a manager has that question in mind, how where do I start with my team? Because it doesn't feel like we've it's a, a regular or a transparent conversation that we've been having so far. What do you think are the steps that managers should take? What I advise managers to focus on is the authentic togetherness. And I think that this is actually very important because the first two key values that will be very important coming from now and in the future are authenticity and integrity. The first step is the self-reflection. Ask yourself the key question of, have I ever been in a situation where I've witnessed actually some racial inequality in the business or in my life? And ask the question, get people to share that experience or just get people to ask themselves that question as well and share the answer. And again, the role of the manager in this conversation is to provide a space where there is no judgment. And actually, again, this authentic togetherness of saying, we are all in this together, truly speaking, there is no preaching, there is no judging. 
It is about them encouraging everybody to be self-aware. I think that's very, very important. Everybody to be vulnerable because, you know, when you talk about race, it's so raw that, of course, it brings out emotions and feelings that you don't necessarily express in the workplace. I think that as another key value, they need to also talk about radical honesty and actually say, listen, we will all be self-aware and check with ourselves. We won't lose our temper. We won't make, take it personally. We'll be vulnerable and open and we'll be radically honest. Meaning, you know, often when in a conversation you do say, hey, so uh, have you heard about that? And sometimes you don't want to come across as you don't know. So you say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this time, it's not the, yeah, it's actually, no, I don't know. Please, can you let me know? That is the, an example of radical honesty. And the last, I think, principle that a manager could bring to an intimate space and in those conversations is full collaboration and saying, again, we're all in this together. And I think that then this enables the team to actually go through the, my five steps, which are mm. self-reflection. Have you ever seen in, racial inequality in the workplace, in this workplace? in the workplace, any businesses you've been before, because again, we're sharing lived in experiences or in your life. Second, you need to answer that question radically honestly and say yes or no. And so if it's a yes, what have you done in that moment and what else could you do in order to become an anti-racist? And if it's a no, okay, so where do you start? When you start from get go, you know, from the bottom, let's go. The third step, the third step, sorry, it's self-forgiveness. It's self-forgiveness when you do the work for yourself, but it's also forgiveness for others. If we have to attain or reach for full collaboration, we have to understand that we would have seen, we would have heard some people say things that made us uncomfortable. That doesn't mean that the person is a bad person. It just means that, or that doesn't mean that we are a bad person because we didn't say anything. It just means that we start from ground zero and say, I'm forgiving myself and I'm forgiving others for their mistakes. I will do better. Step four, then you are ready in theory to commit and actually make a pledge. And actually the power of the full collaboration could be that you do a pledge all together. So as a team, for example, we could create a book club where we will read two books a month or one book a month around the topic of race or diversity at large. And then the last point is action, where you actually look at, okay, so what is it that we can do? So I would, as I said, recommend just to summarize, self-awareness, vulnerability, radical honesty, and then full collaboration as key principles for managers to encourage safe spaces and great conversations. And going on now to talk about individuals, if we're thinking about an individual who says, I want to be more active in this conversation, is there anything that you've seen to empower individuals to help them that would build on that? So I think there are kind of three things that people can do at an individual level. And that's kind of regardless of, of where you stand in your organisation. Before I talk about those three things, it's definitely worth mentioning that there's a, a prerequisite to taking action and, and that's to develop a robust understanding of, of racial inequity and how it plays out in the workplace. The best way to do that is to be curious, you know, and to be informed it's really difficult to act with conviction if you don't build that foundation of understanding and that empathy with people first. And there are opportunities to learn about this everywhere, not just through countless books and documentaries and podcasts that deal with this topic, but also through having open conversations with diverse people and even just observing your environment as you go about your day. 
I think the sheer amount of information out there maybe makes it seem overwhelming, but it really isn't. It takes one book, one video, one conversation at a time. So the three things that I, that I wanted to mention is first to kind of be an active bystander, you know, to speak out and stand up against any incidents of racism or any form of discrimination for that matter, no matter how small it appears to be. And I saw a really good example of this last week when an organisation I'd previously worked for released a, a potentially damaging statement in response to recent events. Um, and this organisation also doesn't have the best track record in terms of ethnically diverse representation. And my former colleagues, the majority of whom are white, um, came together and wrote a letter in response to the organisation statement. And it featured really clear, constructive and evidence-based recommendations such as you know, capturing and ethnicity data and diversifying their recruitment panels. And I think this is a really good example of allyship because you know, they use their position of influence to speak out and they recognise that there's never been a better time to hold their employer to account to promote racial equality. And just to link that back to the first point about staying informed, this would have been a really difficult thing to do if my former colleagues didn't have that foundation of knowledge and insights that they've been building up over the years by actively engaging with the topic. And I remember while I was working with them, we were always talking about race and, you know, they tell me, oh, I, I saw this new article over the weekend. And I think it's that curiosity that can really um, spark great action from people. And the second thing I would say is to amplify the voices of your ethnic minority colleagues. So once you listen to what people have to say about their experiences, amplify that message. And if you notice that your colleague is being repeatedly interrupted, for example, in meetings, speak up and bring them back into the conversation. Ask them, what were you going to say about that topic? And I think attribution is also very important. So making sure that people get credit for their work and get that visibility for the amazing work that they do. And the third point, I think, is to be kind of empathetic and to check in with people, check in with your BAME colleagues, your black colleagues. Mental well-being has taken a massive hit after the George Floyd video and after this global outcry. And one of the things that really struck me was Monday when I got back into work, my boss called me first thing and asked me how I'm doing. And that made a huge difference to my day and to the rest of my week. And it really set the tone and, and helped me feel like I was valued and looked after. And I think it's really small acts that stem from this empathy that can have the biggest impact on people's sense of inclusion in the workplace. I think there is also one more thing, but this is outside of the workplace, but I do think it's worth mentioning. And that's to, for people to rethink their role as a consumer. The economic disparities are striking. A recent report by Runnymede Trust showed that for every one pound of white British wealth, black African and Bangladeshi households have approximately 10p. And I think as consumers, we can play a huge part in, in closing this gap by spending consciously in the same way that many of us do with the environment, to kind of help close that economic gap and to redistribute the flow of capital into underserved communities. Vanessa, have you got any builds on that? If there's that an individual, someone listening now who's like, oh, but where do I start? Or I'm nervous, or what should I do? Or what's the first conversation I have? Have you got any other thoughts that might help someone take action? Because I think that's what we that's what I really want people to go away from this podcast. I want people to feel they've got some more insight, but they're equipped to go and take action as a result of listening to us. I love the framework, but I agree with everything that Zara said. And I'll just add two points, but three key things. So dream, want pursue dream of a great world now that you have this awakening now that you have this understanding that we have not achieved 
an equitable society, which is really the game. You know, this is the goal, right? The way we win is by creating an equitable society for everybody. So now that you know that this is not the case, because you do have some classic white progressives, individuals, people who thought, I'm not racist, so therefore, I don't see color. And now, of course, for me, the number one thing that this movement has really enabled everybody to understand is that that's not enough. For people who understand that that's not enough, well, dream, what could be, and of course, this is when you get curious and inform yourself, dream of what that world could be and feel like. You know, when in the executive coaching world, that's what we do. We get people to visualize a future perfect. So dream about that. Now, want it. Okay, so when you have the image, keep it, do a mood board, do whatever with it, bottle it, I don't care. But, you know, apply color, glitter, whatever you want on it. But then after that, you need to go after it. So now you need to get organized. So, you know, in this podcast, we've been speaking a lot about conversations. Have those conversations. Commit for a sustained discomfort. Because no, it's not going to be easy. Discomfort will be sustained. Don't think that you're going to start and it will diminish. No, because when you talk about race, the layers are so deep sometimes that even to us, BIPOC, BAME, whatever people, whatever you call us, we are like, what? Didn't expect that. Do you know what I mean? So understand that you will have sustained discomfort. When you want to get organized, showcase initiative. So it's be curious, get informed, showcase initiative. Employee network groups or resource groups, most of the time are not created by the leaders. They're often not created by the managers. They're created by the individuals who come together and say, I want to stand up and take the lead on this. And then the pursue piece is keep going. Keep going. Because you know what? And there's a word that I love, which is adversity. Because adversity, this word, is truly not racist. It comes to everybody, any shape, any color, anything. So anyone in different ways. So Adversity is on the way. You will see that you, it will be hard sometimes, but you will make mistakes, of course. Don't think you're going to do diversity work and talk about race and not make mistakes. But again, pursue that dream. That is why I, I love this idea of dreaming. People think that, oh, this is actually not real. No, you can turn your dreams into reality. We, you know, we don't live in the US, but we all have this idea of success and ambition. Whoever we are, independent of color, we are ambitious individuals. We want to progress. We want to learn and get to the next phase. So that's what I would say. Dream, want, pursue. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. So I hope you've already heard some things that you think you might talk to other people about or take away and put into action. What we're going to do now is move on to my conversation with Tolu Farinto about how we can create sustainable culture change. Cultures are comprised of people. And to shift the culture, you need to shift the people. And within an organisation, those cultures are made up of people, but they're normally led by senior leadership. And those senior leadership are the people who decide major shifts and stuff around the business. So if I was going to start on how you would create culture shifts within businesses or culture change within businesses, I would say you have to start with senior leadership. It has to be driven by senior leadership. They have to have the fundamental understanding of what an inclusive and diverse business is. And then the second thing I would suggest, and it's kind of fundamental to driving any sustained change, is developing a strategy. What are you going to do? How are you going to hold yourself accountable? What are you going to focus on? What matters to your people? And part of the strategy is, you know, doing the listening sessions and doing quantitative data gathering to be able to inform what your focuses are, what matter to your people and so on. So creating that strategy is really, really key. And then considering that cultures are made up of lots of different people, it's about how do you get everybody else on the same education journey? How do you get the top down, but also the bottom up approach in relation to education? So everybody understands what it is to build an inclusive and diverse culture. Because that's the only way you're going to achieve it. You can't create inclusive and diverse cultures in silos or in pockets. The whole organization has to be on the journey. But I believe fundamentally that it starts with leadership. You develop a strategy and then you do wider education. And I think some organizations have, with good intent, introduced things like unconscious bias training. If we're trying to create sustainable long-term change, what's your perspective on how far that goes towards that? The group at Utopia, we have a specific dislike towards unconscious bias training just because with unconscious bias training what it does is it highlights you have unconscious bias but it doesn't tell you what you have to do right so everybody goes oh I've got an unconscious bias you've got an unconscious bias we've got an unconscious bias and it's almost like oh the reality about unconscious bias is that it fundamentally drives our behavior and it and we build those unconscious biases from such an early age, right? The books we read, the books we didn't read, the stories we're told, the stories we don't, we're not told, the films that we watch, the TV programs that we watch, all of those inform our picture of the world and how we see the world. And they form your internalized beliefs, right? Your internalized beliefs, your internalized biases. And then what you do is you go into these organizations, you interact with people and all of that learning then comes out. But if it's wrong, then what happens is microaggressions happen. And then... If it's right, then you understand, you know, cultural intelligence, you understand the nuance in people's stories, you're not tapping into stereotypes. But that's the impact of our unconscious biases. And that's not what unconscious bias training teaches you. The thing about what next is, is how do you mitigate against those biases, knowing that they're fundamentally part of you and your brain and your consciousness? How do you mitigate against them? How do you ensure that you put processes in place? You think, why did I make that assumption? Catching yourself 
even in interview process, you know, assuming that, just assuming that woman's not right for the job. Why are you making that assumption? Are you assuming that maybe she's going to have a family and that's the reason? Questioning yourself every single critical moment in time to understand why you're making that decision, why you're thinking that particular way, because that's the only way you're going to mitigate against your biases in any given circumstance. So I don't particularly like unconscious bias training, but I think if you understand how biases fundamentally drive your human behavior, then we can go into, okay, how does that show up in the workplace and how can we mitigate against it? That's what I would do. And that's what we believe in at Utopia. Through the work that you do with Utopia, have you seen any organisations who are quite progressed on this journey or who are doing very specific things that we can learn from? Actually, I can name two organisations. I think the one is Coca-Cola European Partners. They really have lent into our expertise and educated their senior leadership as the beginning. And then that's cascaded down into, you know, training their managers, training people on their shop floors and their factory floors. And out of that came an ambassador program. So it's a ambassador network, which looks at all of the different diversity characteristics, but from an intersectional perspective. So instead of creating silos where um, the gender network is just for women, if the gender network is just for women, you're not engaging men who are part of the conversation to change the culture. So having that ambassador network, giving them the education and the tools, what they're able to do is look at every single thing and go, okay, well, how do we have the gender conversation, but also talk about women of color, but also talk about women who are LGBTQ plus and have that really intersectional conversation. So CCP have really done the work in terms of training their senior leadership and then training their middle management and then letting that cascade down towards all of their people. The other organisation I would mention is Universal Music. They've really, really done the work in ensuring that everybody is touched by the education because you can't have one or two people who are really clued up or woke about inclusion change the masses. You have to have everybody having a fundamental understanding of what it is to build an inclusive and diverse culture and then have that cultural shift because everybody's, everybody understands, okay, what are the fundamentals? What are the expectations? What is the value of our business? And how do we move that forward? But you can't leave anybody behind. So if you were to approach this, if there's someone listening and you were to work with them tomorrow on a process for shifting the culture, like you talked about some of those examples there, what would be the approach that you would take so that somebody can maybe learn from your experience? We take a three-step approach. It's disrupt, inspire, rewire. Disruption is like everybody has an idea of what inclusion and diversity looks like, right? And it's normally informed by their own background or what they care about. So for me, Growing up as a black man and growing up from a lower socioeconomic background, I'm super passionate about people who come from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. And I'm also passionate about issues to do with race, both affect women and men. But that's not the full story of what inclusion is, right? Inclusion accounts for people who are different ages, different sexual orientations, different genders, and so on, right? Really disrupting people's perspective on that within the organization and getting them all to look at inclusion and diversity in the same way is important to ensuring that one, the solution building is done in an intersectional manner, it's done in a holistic way, and it's done not missing anybody. Because in my early years, I would have gone off and tried to change a culture, and all you would have seen is black people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, because that's what I cared about. So that's what would have informed my approach. So disrupt, get a proper understanding of what inclusion and diversity looks like, a common understanding. Inspire is like, okay, what new things can we adopt? What new things can we learn? What examples are out there? What can we steal from to kind of inspire change, right? What organizations are doing great work? What things like the ambassador networks are really working that's ensuring that inclusive cultures are being allowed to thrive within organizations? Like how can we inspire ourselves to change? 
And then the rewire is like, now we have all that information. Now we've disrupted our thinking and we all know what inclusion diversity is. Now we're really inspired and we really want to like adapt and change and experiment. How do we put that within a framework? How do we rewire our businesses? How do we ensure that there is a measurement against what we're trying to do? There's a timeline against what we're trying to do. There's some ownership, there's resources for what we're trying to do. That's the rewire part. So if you want to adapt or create any kind of culture change, those are the kind of three steps that I would definitely recommend. So that's the end of this week's podcast. I know that we've covered a lot in the discussion, but I really hope it's given you some things to reflect on and also support you to have these really important conversations at work. We'll include links in the show notes so that you can follow and connect with this week's guests. So either look in the show notes or you can go to amazingif.com to find that information. And I'll be back next week with Sarah. Thank you so, so much for listening and speak to you soon. Bye, everyone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.